I'm ready when y'all are, I guess. All right, ready? Yep. All right, three, two, whatever. What is good, everybody? It's your boy Francis Carlotta on episode 26 of the Up and Under. Now, usually, I'd introduce Connor Byrne and Grant Heckinger, but but they're not here. So <laughs> Connor's out vacationing in Denver, Colorado. Grant's with his family who visited him in Charlotte. So that left me in bar prep, the busiest time of my life, to do the podcast. And while y'all, the listeners, know that I carry Grant and Connor on my back with my charisma and extensive basketball knowledge, I can't do this podcast alone. So I'm very happy to be joined by two former guests, Danny Montrez Harold Galvin and Mac First Team All Defense Trammel. Fellas, it's great to see y'all in the little Zoom box. How are y'all doing today? Yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, I'm really excited to be back. It was really fun doing this the first time with you guys. Um, we have a great lineup of uh, agenda items to cover today that I'm excited to speak with. And it's good to see Mac. I haven't seen him in a while. He's grown his hair out. He looks stronger and more handsome than ever. So, you know, obviously the same can be said to you, <laughs> Francis, but it's good to see Mac as well. Um, I'll take the handsome part. I'll take, I'll take that aspect. <laughs> Mac, how are you, man? Uh, I'm feeling terrific. Uh, you know, double vaxxed up, getting out into real life again feels really terrific. Um, Nice. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm even more thrilled to be a recurring guest now. I think, I think that's an official title I was looking for my that whole life. That is an official title. And I feel, I feel really fortunate to, to be bestowed that finally. Uh, I, I'm glad that we're able to bestow that title upon you as well. You also, Matt, you're in Memphis. Danny, yes. you're in Austin, right? Correct. Two places, two places with no masks. Am I, am right? I, I'm, am I correct about that? Austin, I, I have to... Texas is like, no. Texas is like, no, don't do it. Austin has been, we are going to uphold our mask mandate. Okay. I think recently that may have shifted where the governor has actually said it's illegal to uphold the mask mandate, which seems crazy, but whatever. <laughs> um, so I don't actually know. I go into stores with my mask still, and I don't mind. It doesn't bother me. Uh, and I go things outdoors, and I'm double vaxxed up too. Okay. Yeah, and That's Francis, good. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that after I got the second shot, I just stopped paying attention and i also wear my mask out just because i've i've gotten used to it and i feel like it's you know a nice thing to do but i you know if we're open or not i don't, I don't even know so i probably should keep up <laughs> okay fair enough fair enough well what i love about doing this podcast is you know doing the Connor and grant and my, as myself being in san diego we're all in different parts of the country than having y'all two on obviously mac you're an hour to three of our hometown still in memphis danny you're in austin it's just great to see Great to do this podcast with people across this great country. So glad to have you both of y'all here. And well, we got a lot of NBA to talk about because just yesterday were the play-in games in the Western Conference. Now, after a couple play-in game duds, just to put it very frankly, <laughs> in the Eastern Conference yesterday, I think it really embodied the whole spirit of the play-in tournament and basically encapsulated the whole image that Commissioner Adam Silver and the entire NBA were going for when they enacted the play-in tournament for, for well, they started it last year, but when they whole started this whole entire idea. This, that, this is what they had in mind. Two really, hopefully four, when it all, you know, for next season, but just really, really good games from start to finish. And it was just really awesome basketball. Great games to watch. Let's start in the grindhouse. Let's start in Memphis, Tennessee. 
what are some key takeaways from y'all that y'all can either use and think about for the Grizzlies and the Spurs moving forward? And just any more thoughts you have on that 100-96 Memphis Grizzlies victory over the Spurs yesterday? Uh, so I'll, I'll take it here. I think that, you know, if you're looking at what Memphis did yesterday, last night, uh, and also in the previous game, which is essentially kind of a, a, a winner-take-all against the Warriors in the final game of the, of the regular season, there has been a real reliance on the scoring abilities and the defensive tenacity of uh, Dylan Brooks, which is something that I think mm. maybe the rest of the league and the rest of the kind of basketball-watching population maybe isn't as tuned into as uh, the folks who are here and watching uh, games all the time. But uh, as awesome as that is and as... Uh, you know, uh, much as we do need that, it is also a little bit of a question mark for me. I, I look at this and I think, where is John Morant? I'm not that he's not there. Obviously, he had 16, 19 points, um, 20 points, you know, in that range in both games. But um, he doesn't seem to be the scoring dynamo that he was kind of in the later uh, half of the season after it looked like he came back from an injury. Obviously, Jaron Jackson Jr. doesn't look like he's quite all the way back yet. So, you know, yeah. and with Jonas Valanciunas, who's played amazingly well, that's not a guy who can necessarily go find his own shot. Obviously, he has to get fed in the post or he gets an offensive rebound or something like that. So right. I love that Dylan is playing terrifically. I love that he's proving people wrong and showing people how really valuable he actually is or can be. But it is also concerning to have someone so unreliable uh, be the focal point, basically, of your offense for you know 50% of the game uh, of both of these last two games. Um, so, so I, I, I guess I'm kind of on the fence. I see that as a plus, obviously it's great that he's playing well, but also it's with a guy who could foul out at any time or could go on a cold streak. It's not a good thing to be relying on. I think, I think we've been waiting for a genuine, for genuine consistency from Dylan Brooks forever. I feel like that's, that's literally what we've been looking for from Dylan Brooks for the past two years. And when he's doing what he's playing very well, he's huge. He's everything the Grizzlies are looking for in terms of that wing scorer who can also defend that two-way player. And Dylan Brooks has proven over the year that he's he's a really solid perimeter defender. I mean, he locked mm-hmm. down DeMar DeRozan yesterday. I think for a, for a time, DeMar was like 0, 0 for 8 against, against Dylan. And I think DeMar made one or two jump shots over Dylan Brooks, which you expect is DeMar DeRozan. But DB played awesome defense on DeMar and he was also locking down Steph Curry to whatever capability you can lock down Steph Curry in the game against the Warriors just frustrating him yeah first thank you that's a better yeah, way to put it lock frustrating down Steph points. Curry yeah yeah that's not really how that's not that's hard to do that but frustrating him is a good way to put it and so when he's at his peak and playing well like he did yesterday that's huge but the thing is like you said Mac it's not a constant and it's not I don't. I just don't think we can call it reliable. That would just be the wrong word to call what we what we get from Dylan Brooks to be reliable. But I, I that is a big question mark we have, and I think that's something the Grizzlies are going to look into, especially in the off season, and trying to figure out maybe in the draft this year to try and figure out how they can supplement this lack of reliability from Dylan Brooks. But Danny, what other what takeaways do you have? Yeah, from the game? yeah. I um, I certainly I certainly agree with all of that. Um, John Morant needs to be your best player for this team to win another game and then a playoff series. John Morant has not always looked like... I 
I had so much faith and confidence after his first year. And I feel like I've been filled with more question marks in the second year. Not that he hasn't been a very good player, but I've started to wonder, is he capable of being that number one option for this team? That he needs to be for this team, as it's currently constructed, to be the best version of itself. Dylan Brooks, your hope is this playoff atmosphere and the next game and hopefully this series, something clicks inside of him, whatever that means, that he becomes more, uh, he maintains his tenacity and his uh, energy with which he plays, but he is also able to bring that night to night consistently in effective manners. Because as you've noted, it's not really his energy that changes game to game per se. It's just the way that he is able to utilize that energy into the, the, the outcome of the game, whether that's you know, a consistent shooting or you know, not fouling out defensively. You know, he's always going to bring it. It's like, how is he bringing it? So I watched that game and, and kind of had the same thought process. I also had the thought process, Jonas Valanciunas, him and Dylan Brooks were our two best players. Yeah. And that's great that it won us a game. But that's not where the franchise is going to see success coming in the future. Not the success that they want, right? Right. That you know we've done, we've done things before with big big men who have a lot of skill in the post uh, and um, are able to score effectively there and create offense from that area. Um, you know, surrounded by some other pieces, but that didn't get us to the promised land that we wanted it to. Um, so I'm I'm not gonna t- we won. We're right, we won. <laughs> here. That's great. And I hope that we can beat the Warriors. I think, yeah, yeah. it will go on. It will take Ja being the best player on our team. He will require that. I don't think we win in any capacity against this team. I think it still requires Dylan Brooks to have a very good game and Jonas Valachunas, Jonas Valachunas, to have, you know, a monster game in the post and all of these other things. But he, he, Ja needs to look like our best player and definitively be our best player. Um, so... It's, it's tough for the Grizzlies right now because we are, quote-unquote, ahead of schedule and nitpicking them. Mm-hmm. Um, Jaron Jackson Jr. is not physically where he would like to be, I'm sure, um, as he's returning from his injury that took a while to get back from, and he's trying to get in shape and trying to get used to the speed of the game and all of these yeah, of other very important things. Um, so, you know, it's like, and so I, I feel bad for just going out and be like, and there, this is the problem because there's a million different things that are happening in a really crazy season and especially crazy season that are preventing us from getting a really clear picture of what the Grizzlies are going to look like going forward. But yeah. my definitive takeaway is if we want to win the next game and we want to be in contention in the next series and we want to set ourselves up for the future, we need Job Moran to be our best player. And again, I do hope that Dylan Brooks, something clicks in his head where he's like, I can do this every game. I can be this way every game. I can be under control and intense. And I can take the right shots and make them and everything else. Because that would be incredibly helpful. Because like you said, it has been a question mark for the Grizzlies for years to have a wing scorer who can also defend um, and shoot from the perimeter effectively. Um, so, you know, if he could do that and click, like that would just be solve one of our worries and we can move forward. So those, those are my two takeaways from, the, from it. Sometimes the playoffs do that to players. Uh, yeah. But sometimes players also have playoffs that they look great in a series, and it might have just been the matchup, and it might have just been their mindset at the time, and things change. So it's hard to say. I do just want John Morant to come out like a world beater, like someone who knows that they, who believes that they're the best player on the court, even when they're on the court with Steph Curry, and, and goes out there and, and, and makes that team hum. That's, yeah. that's my hope. Yeah, one of my favorite moments of, of that Grizzlies game was when Ja hit a nice. Nice 
three where I forgot who I forgot who the man was. Oh, this thing was Joe's, yeah. Set the screen, hit the three, stepped into it in rhythm, and he just showed some swagger after he knocked it down. He was just like he was feeling himself, and that's the type of confidence that I want John Moran to 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 shoot the ball with. He plays basketball yeah. with a crap ton of confidence, but I want him to shoot the ball with confidence because yeah. you know as as a lot of people know in basketball a lot of shooting is also in your head. If you believe the shot's going to go in, that's way better than shooting without believing that's going to go in. Like that's, yeah. that's a, there's a huge difference in that. And Jaw has to get comfortable taking these shots and believing that they're going to go in. And I think I think it's there. Like I I was going to I was going to make a comment uh as I was watching a game, I was going to tweet this but I just got distracted in the game and didn't didn't say this, but I think John Morant can develop into a solid three-point shooter. He could he can develop into a 36, 37% three-point shooter. It's not his shot looks fine. It's a fine-looking yeah. shot. There's it doesn't it's not ugly. It's mechanically not bad. I would he could get a little more lift, but even then you could think of other great shooters who don't get a ton of lift. They just have great mechanics and they have confidence in them, in themselves. But I think Jaw has the ability to be a good three-point shooter. He just has to, he's only, he's in his second year. He has to continue to develop. His ceiling is still incredibly high. And you're right, Danny. If the Grizzlies want to find the success that as Grizzlies fans and even the organization think that they can reach, John Morant has to be their best player. If they can't they can't go, they can't play Golden State on Friday and John Morant not be their best player and win. Not, that's not gonna happen. Like Steph is gonna be Steph and the Warriors are gonna beat us. John Morant has to be our best player. And I think he knows that. And I think the the broadcasters, Mark Jones, Doris Burke, talked about it in the in the game yesterday as well, saying how Sean Morant took full responsibility for how badly he played against the Warriors just a few days ago. And he wanted to play better and perform because he knows that that's not going to cut it. And even after yesterday's game, there was a video of him shooting free throws in, in a FedEx forum when a lot when basically everybody left because he's like, nope, I got to get better. And that's, that's what you love to see. You love to see that in a franchise player like John Morant. And I think he can develop into that. Now, we'll see what happens Friday. And it will be a great game. Mac, is there anything else you want to talk about for the last game? Or do you want to look forward to the Grizzlies game on, on Friday? No, uh, no, I'll, I'll save everything. But just to say I'm glad. You, you're right, it is a good look that he was in the, uh, in the gym shooting free throws. But it ended up not <laughs> being effective because he went two for five and missed three in a row. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I'll take a quick comment. It is, it is all confidence and it's all believing yourself in the moment for those types of athletes. Uh, they've all put in the work to be as good as anyone. Um, it just takes some. It sometimes things, like I said, sometimes things have to click, and um, I'm I'm hoping that this ends up being. We'll talk about it in a little bit. I think potentially with talking about the Celtics, if we get to them, I'm not sure if that's 100 percent on the agenda. But you know, um, the Celtics look like they are, in my book, going to implode in their next series, <laughs> um, and I think that's a bad feeling for a franchise and the development yeah. of a team. And I think that could be harmful. The opposite can be true where teams really find themselves, even if they don't win, even if they don't win the series, you know, find themselves in moments like this and say, I've done it here. I can do it anywhere. So hopefully Ja has that game. I don't care about, I mean, obviously I did care about when I was watching him miss free throws and we were up by like two points <laughs> like or three points. I was like, okay, please hit this free throw. But I don't care if he misses free throws. I need him to hit him the next game now, and that's what counts. So two quick things before we do move on to talking about the other game last night. One first is the free throw shooting video was after yesterday yesterday's game act. So 
Jaw was shooting free throws ah. after yesterday's game uh-huh. because he knew that he had a bad free throw shooting day yes. <laughs> during the game. So that's good for Jaw. The second thing is I wanted to talk to you all about the bench. And I think this year has been a very good year for the Grizzlies bench. Almost every NBA plaudit, NBA journalist say that the Grizzlies are one of the deepest teams with so many just really good players that there's no there's no one on the roster that's bad. I think that's like the catch-all statement that I've heard from, from damn near everybody in the NBA. Last night was it they uh, wasn't great. That's just not not a great look for the Grizzlies bench, especially just rebounding without Jonas as well. Because when, as we all saw in, in the game yesterday, when Jonas left the floor after the Grizzlies took that massive lead. The Spurs just came all the way back. They dominated the paint. I, like Again, Doris Burke said in the, in, the, in the broadcast that the Spurs were getting two feet in the paint on almost every single trip on offense when Jonas was off the floor. Like it, it, his, He had a ma- massive impact, obviously 2020. He, that's always going to be a huge impact. But besides that, he was just a presence that the, the Grizzlies didn't seem to have. And maybe it's a Jaron Jackson thing because that's another thing about Jaron that I wish he had that more of a, of a presence down low in terms of rim defending, but also as a rebounder, he's not a good rebounder. And I've talked about this for, for a while before that I wonder, I've always wondered why. Maybe I, I posited this before that maybe it's because he shoots a lot of threes, so he's going to be on the perimeter a lot, which is why he doesn't get a lot of offensive rebounds. But then on the defensive side, you're 6'11", 7 feet tall, Long as hell, strong guy, but he just doesn't box out. He doesn't find his man. He doesn't try to locate the ball. He he gets he I don't know. It just it looks lazy and it's tough to watch. And so I do y'all think that the bench unit can well no, if they play like they did yesterday, they can't. They can't win some, they can't beat the Warriors. But do you do y'all have an idea what what was the problem with their bench yesterday? Do you have any ideas about that? Uh, I would posit, uh, you know, lack of experience more than anything else. Um, first game jitters. Uh, the, most of that bench unit, and a, a lot of that bench unit is first-year players, some of the more important ones, Xavier Tillman, who's supposed to be taking up that, uh, you know, space, that space in the paint. Um, uh, Desmond Bain. Uh, I guess D'Anthony Mountain's a second-year player, but, you know, still, you know, still some nerves there. We're a really young team. Again, we're ahead of schedule. I think yeah. it's hard for, you know... In the playoffs, the tr- the the model thinking goes that the lineups, what are the, uh, the the rotation shortens, right? You get an eight man rotation versus the ten man rotation, and the Grizzlies have been able to do at times twelve men rotations. Yeah. Uh, I do think that there's p- two issues: one, just inexperience, which whatever, but two, I do think the Grizzlies are going to have to have, take a long look this off season about consolidating that bench a little bit. Having a bunch of very good young players is a great problem to have but the solution to it is probably having you know two less of them or three less of them for one really good bench yeah, player getting value for them yeah, would be nice that probably ends up being better because you can't you just can't play all of them all the time you need someone off the bench um, who is going to be a stabilizing force or a spark uh, that's what yeah. the bench is there for and we don't really Rudy have Excuse me. Yeah, every team <laughs> wants Rudy Gay at this point in his career. Every team would take Rudy Gay, but yes, you know you need something. Um, and um, yeah, I I don't blame any of the Grizzlies. It is 
challenging to come into your first win or go home game of your of your uh, of your professional career, yeah. your professional career, and play to the to the extent as well as you've been playing before. And you know, I think it's really tough for uh, you know, like Ja played in one last year, right, against the uh, against the Blazers, the Blazers. Uh, and he put up like thirty five. I think it's a little bit different for um, guys like him, starters, and especially guys who have been given the keys. You already told you're the you're the MF and man, you mm-hmm. know, go out there and do your thing. These are guys who are kind of also fighting just to be in the NBA to some degree, even though they have supplanted themselves solidly in this rotation. You know, they're they're fighting and scrapping for it. They can't go into it with the same mindset of being like, I'm the best player on the court. Nothing matters except for what I do out right. there. I'm going to do my game. They're 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 in a different. They have to think about things differently, and I think that would lend itself to more nerves. And again, I think you do have to consolidate. The only other point I'd make on Jaron Jackson's rebounding: rebounding is a really, it's a it's a unique skill that requires mm-hmm. tracking the flight of the ball, which some mm-hmm. people can do extremely well, and other people don't have the eye for. Um, yeah. It requires you know anticipation, timing, and strength. But also, you know, knowing when to be fin- to finesse, or the easier thing to do is to box out. And if he doesn't have the things that are, are required to be a really great rebounder himself, he does need to learn how to be a great box out guy and allow someone else to get the rebound for him. Essentially, you know, a Stephen Adams who's never averaged over more, you know, than whatever rebounds per game he's ever averaged. You know, everyone said once he left Westbrook, he would. Uh, his his rebounding numbers would skyrocket. He's a good. He's a very very good rebounder actually for this point. But he's more of a box out guy too. He pushes guys out of the way to allow other people to get the rebound, and that's an effective skill set too. Uh, so you know you got to figure that out if you're Jaron Jackson Jr. I do agree. Yeah, and to piggyback on that point um, about Jaron, well, first of all, I mean obviously he has a much different frame than Stephen Adams, who has like if you said box out and you didn't tell what someone what it was. Like, his body looks like a box out. Whereas Jared's a lot lot skinnier, you know, has the long arms. But but the other thing is, uh, uh, Francis, you said earlier that it it, it came down to kind of laziness, that lack of wanting to box out. And I'm not sure that it's quite laziness. To me, it seems more like maybe a lack of awareness. Like, his his basketball IQ is still... I think kind of growing, yeah. and so like even last night, I noticed there was a, there was a play where uh, a Spurs I can't remember who it was player came in uh, back door and got a dunk um, on the baseline. He looked around and immediately he knew Jonas looked at him. He knew that Jaron knew that was him, and it was just one of those like, oh, you're so close, like you're you're right there. Mm-hmm. You know what you were supposed yeah. to yeah. do. You just got to make sure you're thinking about it. And obviously, they have so many things to think about all the time on the court. So <laughs> yeah, yeah I, basketball is hard. <laughs> but um, and then yeah, to the point about the bench, um, my worry there is that so yes, they have twelve like good basketball players, but they probably have like maybe eight playoff basketball players. If that makes sense, mm, yeah. Like Brandon Clark, no, yeah, to me, like I feel like should be good enough to play in a playoff game, but he didn't. He didn't play last night. I don't know if he's going to play tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and you just yeah, you look up and down the bench and. Uh, as Danny said, like I look at a Tyus Jones. I mean, that's a stabilizer for our team, but he's not going to give you all that much other than hopefully just not a turnover, uh, which yeah, is a, it's like, okay, that's like a net nothing or like a slight net negative for your backup point guard who's been good for you all year. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I am hesitant to say that we should like trade a bunch of these players for somebody better, right? We did that with Justice Winslow and it turned out not well um and the other thing is like that's a whole different topic too desmond bain 
could like I look at him and I thought he was just going to be a shooter off the bench. No, this guy can dribble. He can, he's aggressive. He's he a can. good defender. Like, and he's only a rookie. Yeah. Like, this is somebody who could mature into being one of those top eight. And actually, he already is playing in these playoff games. So it's like a little bit of give and take. Yes, I think they need better players, but maybe those people are already on their team and just you know through growing and getting older and maturing into their bodies and et cetera, gaining more basketball IQ they can fill those roles eventually when it's time for this team to start making some serious noise in the playoffs. I do agree, and I was actually going to bring up Desmond Bain a little earlier, but something that impresses me every time I watch him play is he's not just a shooter. He can get downhill. He can. He doesn't have a lot of, as Grant likes to call it, shake to his game, but he can put his head down. He's strong. That is mm-hmm. a strong man. So he can get his head down, get to the rim, and finish through contact with a pretty, with pretty good efficiency. And then he can shoot, and then he can defend. So... Desmond Bain is getting all all rookie team talks for this season, so that's that's already a great thing, mm-hmm. and for the Memphis Grizzlies. And you know, could he be the guy to supplant Dylan Brooks in that starting lineup at once? Desmond Bain gets better, maybe I is he the it. is he the answer? Yeah, and I think you know the whole start Desmond Bain cowards thing is obviously a thing as well, <laughs> but. Uh, he's young. Like he, he has so much development left in, in, in his career. To touch on the rebounding thing in Jaron Jackson, uh, just again, that we can move on because we talked a lot about the Grizzlies in, in this well, podcast. Hey, we're taking up all the all the time the national media has not talked about the Grizzlies. We're taking that's Oh, right. my gosh. We're taking. Yeah. That's oh, my right. gosh. You're it was crazy. Right. And I was joking with uh, my girlfriend. I was joking with Lucy about um, how, yeah, they're like, oh, every every – the whole pregame was talking about LeBron and Steph, and they're like, and then here's the Grizz. And as soon as I say that, they're talk, they cut to them warming up. They cut to the Lakers and the Warriors warming up. Yeah, it was a close game. Yeah, even Lucy laughed. It was like a two-point game. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely dumb. But, yeah, so about, about Jaron Jackson, the rebounding thing, the best, the, the best visual of the art of rebounding is that video of Dennis Rodman on The Last Dance where he was like, and I gotta watch the ball. It's gonna come off here. Then I, if it comes off here, I gotta be here, and I gotta be here. Or if it's gonna go like this, I have to be like, it's that's awesome. He's a and that that really encapsulates. Oh yeah, like that encapsulates the art of rebounding. Which, as you said, Danny, there's so many things that go into it. And then to touch on Jaron's IQ, another just uh, face palm IQ moment was against the Warriors a couple of days ago when Steph hit that dagger three. And Jaron chased him mm, out to basically court. to the half court. And I, I was yelling at the TV. I was like, where the hell are you going? Like, I understand it's, it's low shot clock. There's probably three or four seconds left. You don't want to give him space. But it's Steph Curry. You're Jaron Jackson. He will still get by you. If you chase him that far, he will get by you. And it's just, it's just one of those moments that you look back and Jaron's probably like, you know, I'm sure the coaches and the whole team whole staff talk to him about that moment, I'm sure. Because, like, come on, man, you have to be smarter than that. Yes, it's a low shot clock moment. You don't want to give him space. But don't give him space in a controlled manner. Don't just chase after Steph Curry. He's the last person you want to chase. Like, you want to be controlled when you defend him. And he just wasn't. So it's just one of those moments. And he's still a young guy. And that's, like, the common theme when we talk about the Grizzlies. They're so young. But... It's gonna we're gonna reach a point maybe next season or two years from now three years from now where we're like we can't use that as an excuse that they're young, that they're gonna actually have to have some results because they're supposed to be good. Like down the line, I think they're going to be good. I think everyone thinks 
they're going to be good. But we'll see. We just we it's gonna to get to a point where that excuse won't work, but not that that excuse that that won't happen for a few years. So they still have a great future and still have a game Friday where they could beat Golden State, make it get the eight seed, and that would be that would be awesome. So well as Grizzlies fans, <laughs> go Grizz. We're gonna root for them hard. I can't wait to watch that game. So let's move on to the other matchup last night, the Lakers and Warriors. What a basketball game, guys. That was awesome. That was so much fun to watch. That's everything you want in a basketball game. Two superstars going at it. I loved it. I'll, I'll go first with a, a key takeaway that, that I had. So my biggest takeaway was not even about the Lakers winning this game. It's about Draymond Green. That was my biggest takeaway. I know he can defend. I, everyone knows Draymond Green can defend. But just to watch him do it uh, on AD and really play him so well. Also, his pick-and-roll defense is nuts. He knows where to position himself every single time you try and do a pick-and-roll. Because there are times where LeBron's on the bench and the Lakers' offense was just absolute dog shit in the first half. It was so bad. The spacing was atrocious. And it was like AD, like KCP or Caruso or insert Laker guard here trying to do a pick and roll with AD because there's only five to six seconds left on the shot clock. So they got to do something to get a good shot. And Draymond's like, nope, you're not. You're not going to get a good shot on this AD pick and roll because I'm going to guard this incredibly well. And the Lakers, a lot of people were thinking they just run through this team and just beat the Warriors pretty handily because they're, oh, LeBron's back. AD, they're all healthy again. No, the Warriors had a legitimate shout at winning this game. And I think an interesting aspect about the Warriors this year is how they finished fifth in defense. For a team, when you look at the roster, it's like, should that roster have finished fifth in defense? But then, yeah, Draymond Green, who is one of the best defenders of all time, being that anchor. And he's not going to get, we're going to do NBA awards in a bit. He's not going to win Defensive Player of the Year. But he's one of the best defenders in the NBA. He's absolutely incredible. And so... Obviously, the the LeBron shot was awesome, and if either one of y'all want to talk about that, please go ahead. But my takeaway was like, oh, to watch Draymond Green play defense, it's just, it's it's special. And it's really, I appreciate it so much. So that was my key takeaway from watching the game last night. I totally agree. Um, I think he's one of two players in the NBA who is a defensive system unto himself, the other being Rudy Gobert. Um, yeah. Giannis probably gets close to that, too. Uh, in that regard, but these guys are like, they're they are defense. They take they make the whole team move, and they make the whole thing work by being incredibly talented at their areas. And the other two guys I mentioned are both you know seven feet plus tall with yeah. wingspans that are million miles long. Dream and athleticism, is insane though. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is too. But whose athleticism <laughs> is? But their athleticism is off the charts. Right, and I've yeah. seen Draymond not be able to get up for a dunk that he thought he was going to get up exactly. to. Exactly. <laughs> like, so you know, I'm, he he is he is really he's really incredible. It's so um, it's so efficient, um, so knowledgeable, um, just knowing where everyone is going to be and moving his own players around him in that yeah. way, and just creating so much trust as a defensive unit that you know having him on your team does you know you know you can trust any switch he calls out you can trust any any you know icy calls out whatever he calls out you know you 100 percent are going to do it because it's the right thing to do in that moment is is really is really valuable to that team um so that that is a great takeaway i wanted to talk about that too because yeah he's not going to win a defensive player of the year award um but he he deserves to just be recognized as you know 
just a guy who you build it. You can build. You can throw five players around. You can throw us three and two others or one other around, <laughs> and he's gonna have us playing defense our ass yeah. off in a matter yeah. of two practices. Yeah. We're gonna be flying all over the court. Either that, um, the or, one thing, I, or I would just incredibly frustrate him <laughs> to a point where he would just oh, like get off. See, I was no, it's probably, it's probably the same so for me too. Have to <laughs> but um, anyway, so yeah, Draymond's incredible and deserves uh, deserves all the conversation. I want to just point out for me, I think the other side of it is the who is the offensive system of that team um, is is of course Steph Curry, um, Jordan Poole. Jordan, Jordan Poole wants to be Steph Curry, and I'm totally yeah, okay with that. I he love, really does. I don't mind watching someone else try and be Steph Curry. It's still it, pretty really fun. I'm like, what, what, Steph, what Steph sits, it's like all Jordan Poole shooting. That's all it is. Like, he loves Jordan. it, too, and he's got so much pretty, joy in it. I, it's fantastic. It's fun for me. Um, uh, but he's, what's incredible about him, you know, um, obviously, like, what, separ- what allows him to do everything he's doing is his unbelievable shooting efficiency um, from all over the court, from all angles, from all types of shots. They're all threes. They all go down in the book as threes. But he is coming left, catching right. left, that... coming right, catching right, right. coming mm-hmm. right, catching backwards, like falling backwards yeah. almost on some of these, hitting them. Um, I remember that one in the first half that I guess it was to end the first half. The way he caught that and shot, he was fading out of bounds at an angle and drained oh, it. It was like, So I it's mean, just, it's, it's obviously what's allowing him to do it is that. And that isn't talked about a ton. Uh, what I don't think gets talked about in the right way is his off-ball movement, which everyone mm-hmm. praises. Everyone praises it. But you hear things like, if other players did that like this, they would be rewarded too. And if someone else would just move like Steph, they would be able to do it too. And the thing is, it's not exactly true. Because the reason he's able to get these backdoor cuts, these nice little slips, these nice little fake screens back, is because you have to guard him with while holding onto his shirt and trying to kiss him like you have to be so close to him at all times <laughs> that you that you, as soon as he decides he's not going up for the three you get beat on the back door like or you, or the you get, other or you player, get hit faked or you yeah just, right like, it's, the wrong way. Like, yeah. it's it, the the fact that his his shooting proficiency and the way he's able to do it has allowed him to like you can't if he starts running full speed to half court you can't stop guarding him because he could catch that ball, turn on a dime, and drain it. Like, you have Jackson to be moving him. it, which is why Jaron Jackson, Jackson actually got more beat because he turned his head. He, yeah, I don't, I, he shouldn't have gone that far yeah, off. You're right. Yeah, yeah, totally yeah. shouldn't have. But he turned his head, hesitated a second, and kind of thought yeah. he should go to the ball. And that yeah. was not the move to make, and he, he screwed that up. But, but he, I get where Jaron Jackson's coming from. He's like, he's going to shoot from here. Of course. I cannot let him shoot from here. I at yeah. least understood it. Right. Um, you're right. It needs to be more contained, obviously. But anyway, but that's that, that's something I wanted to talk about. Um, that off-ball movement is amazing and beautiful, and more players should emulate it. And it is incredibly fun. But the the reason he is able to get all of the other shots he gets out of that off-ball movement still comes down to his ability to just drain shots. And it's incredible that you know essentially this team has learned with very little. I want to say little talent, as if these aren't NBA basketball players, but with very <laughs> little scoring talent. Um, They've learned to run a very complicated offense that Steve Kerr asked his team to run, while at the same time just like keeping their heads up for Steph Curry. Because they just know that, you know, I got to run a pick and roll right now, but also if Steph backdoor cuts, I should see if he gets open. And they do that really incredibly well, and they deserve credit as a team for that. No, they're not, none of them are individual 
you know, scorers or creators that deserve awards and blah, blah, blah. But they're a damn good team, and they love playing with each other. That's obvious. They have fun doing it. They fight for each other. They care about each other. It's a fun team to watch. Uh, and I guess that only puts me in my other takeaway. The Lakers are totally vibeless. No vibes coming from the Lakers. Um, and, you know, we'll talk about it more, I'm sure, about when we come about matchups. But uh, I just don't, I don't have a great sense of what the Lakers are this year. Um, obviously, they're great uh, in, their, in their greatness with LeBron and AD. But I don't know. I, I really enjoy watching the Warriors play. Um, I hope the Grizzlies win tomorrow. I won't be mad to watch the Warriors play more either. So, you know, I'm just going to take it as I can as an NBA fan. For what it's worth, Great. Lakers, no vibe, no JaVale McGee. Could be a correlation. Ah, uh, yes. That was, he was yes. a lot more fun. It's true. Yes. Um, I agree. Uh, yeah, I agree with everything that Danny said. Um, all that is uh, certainly true. I think also, um, if you've noticed, in the last week of the regular season, especially in the last two games, the Warriors – I'm not saying they weren't, they were coasting, but they definitely seem to have flipped a switch. Um, and they're playing a lot more hard as a team on defense, especially Draymond. Um, and, and so so that has uh, uh, certainly improved the quality of, of watching them, which obviously just watching Steph is amazing in and of itself. So um, the other thing I'm, I, I, I want to look at is we've talked a lot about the Warriors, um, and we'll probably talk about them some more since they're going to be playing in the playing game. So let's give a little bit of love to the Lakers who were – the winners in this game, <laughs> they did in yes. fact win. And they I, did in fact win. I'm going back in my mind and thinking about this, and I'm like, how in the world did they actually win? LeBron, although he did end up having a triple-double, played relatively pretty poor for himself. AD also yeah. did not play very well. Um, and Steph went off, and Draymond played well defensively. So it's pretty amazing that they did come out of this with a win. Um, obviously, the LeBron shot was iconic. I can't tell if I 100% believe that he couldn't see the ring or if I 100% believe it's bullshit. Um, but yeah, it, there seemed like there was a little Michael Jordan myth-making going on in the moment when he said that quote, but I don't know. It's just cla- I to, me it's like, to me, it's like classic LeBron just trying to really control the narrative and totally. just make the shot seem really big. And it's a big shot. Like it It's a massive shot that he hit. But also at the same time, it's like we don't – care that you could yeah. <laughs> we don't really care like it's a great it's shot. the it's the uh cast coming out after losing the finals yeah 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 so um but sorry go ahead Matt. no the the only other thing i was going to mention is that we we talked about this with the grizzlies right with the the other guys stepping up and they did that for the lakers in this game uh, and specifically and especially wesley matthews who uh, came in in the third quarter and was really great defensively and, and gave them what they needed um uh from the three-point line as well this is a guy who they got from the Bucks for basically nothing in the offseason and who's been kind of in and out of the lineup, and he comes in in a big point like this. And actually, I'm kind of parroting a little bit what I heard from Nate Duncan listening to his kind of recap uh, of the game last night. But basically saying, like, yeah, they didn't play him for the last two weeks, month of the season, and he comes in ready to go and is an impactful player because he has the skill set that you need. He's a 3 and eight player, and that's something that every team needs, especially a LeBron James uh, helm squad. So, um, you know, even though LeBron didn't play up to his normal lofty standards, AD didn't, um, you know, you look at the rest of the team, uh, especially Wesley Matthews coming in in the clutch and uh, supporting, you know, weirdly their stars, uh, it, it ended yeah. up working out for them. Yeah, the, the Lakers' best lineup, and I think this is pretty common knowledge, is with Anthony Davis at the five. That is the Lakers' best lineup because you can have genuine spacing that that's just it's impossible if you don't have ad at the five you start anthony davis and andre drummond together while 
they're the Lakers thinking is probably to try and emulate the whole AD and Dwight Howard connection they had last year, where where that was very effective and helpful for Anthony Davis because he could play on the more of the perimeter and make an impact in the way AD wants to have an impact, which is more so on the perimeter. But that's not the best lineup for the Los Angeles Lakers, and everyone knows that because there's no spacing, and we saw that in the first half when they when they trotted out AD and Drummond for a lot of that first half. And that offense looked awful. It really looked bad. Granted, LeBron has been hurt. He's been out for a while. But it was bad. There was zero spacing. There was, I feel like, a lot of last-second, late shot clock heaves that some went in, sure. But a lot of it didn't. Like, that's why they were down by double digits in that first half. And in the second half, when it was AD at the 5 with LeBron and just shooters, more spacing, that is the recipe, which the recipe they used to win the finals last year. That's the recipe to a title. And obviously, I, the whole NBA knows that. The Lakers obviously know that. So the, they may not want to do it all the time to show their cards too much. But that is their best lineup. It's, it's just pretty straightforward in, in that regard. So um, whether or not we'll see that more. I mean, look, they got to beat they gotta beat the, the Suns. So I, I think they're going to go all out and beating the Suns and... and Doing the the putting out the best lineups they can, but yeah, that that's a huge key for to them for for me. Another thing I wanted to bring up as a, as a kind of a minor big moment that I had in my head was late in the fourth quarter, an, another Laker late shot clock shot happened, and it was Caruso had an open corner three that he hit off the side of the backboard, and the whole Warriors bench was clowning him, talking shit, blah blah blah. Next possession down, Caruso's guarding Curry. Now, this is with like two minutes, two, three minutes left in the fourth. Caruso's guarding Curry. He steals it from Curry. He knocks it off of Steph's leg, goes out of bounds, and it's a Warriors turnover and Lakers ball, and they go and they go down the on the other end of the fourth, the Lakers score. Like that was such a huge moment. Just a small thing, but that was a huge moment because like the Warriors were were still in in solid control of the game, and Caruso made a huge obviously had a hitting the side of the backboard from a corner a wide open corner three paul george-esque right Pandemic <laughs> <George> B. yeah <laughs> but he came back on d and forced a turnover you know it was it was just little things and if if you want to know why the lakers won that game yesterday mac turnovers the warriors had 20 turnovers last night in just the worst times they had uh, uh, andrew wiggins who had a great game last night he played so well he had a wide open dump that steph passed the, to wiggins and Somehow, Andrew lost the ball, and that led to a bucket on in transition for the Lakers. Just like just way too many little turnovers that just killed Golden State last night. 20 turnovers against the Lakers. The Lakers have the number one defense in the NBA. That's, you're not going to win that. It's going to be tough to win that game, and they didn't. So that, 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 to me, was the biggest issue as to why the Warriors didn't, didn't come away with the win. But, hey, the Lakers are good. <laughs> Full, fully healthy. They're very good. So... We'll see what happens in the next round. Any, anything else you want to talk about for the Warriors-Lakers game? And if not, let's we can do our predictions for the game on Friday. Let's do it. All right. So we, we will do bets at the end, but I kind of just want to do the this game now because we're talking, we were talking about the playing games. We are all Grizzlies fans. Are either one of us, either one of us, going to go against the home team? I'm not a good... Um... I'm not a good gambling man because I bet with my heart instead of my head. So go Grizz. <laughs> okay. Grizz got so, it. Danny with the Grizz back? Yeah, I mean, yeah. 
obviously I want the Grizzlies to win, but I do not think that they are going to do that. Um, I, I love how they played. Pragmatic. And, and not that I really love how they played, but they showed that they could get in it. They were down 17 in that you know final 72nd game of the season. Came all the way back, took the lead in the fourth quarter. I loved that. They showed yeah. that they were still in it. But even so, they were clearly not their, – their team was not as good as Golden State's. Golden State has a really good defensive scheme against us. They know that Ja cannot shoot, so they're going over on every screen, and they are clogging the paint when he gets there. Um, and yeah. conversely, on the other end of the floor, they killed us when Kevon Looney was out there. They knew that Jonas Valanciunas was going to – or Jonas, as Danny said earlier. I'm sorry, JV, <laughs> for uh, mispronouncing that name. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, Jonas, um, if you're J listening. for a, a hard fellow. Um, yeah. yeah, he's playing way back on Kavan, right, underneath the basket, basically. So if Looney comes up and sets a, a screen and, and they're going over, or, or the player who's getting screened gets, gets caught up in the screen, then Curry has a wide-open look. And that killed us a few times in the fourth quarter in that game as well. I think they're going to go back and yeah. do similar things with that. Uh, I mean, we're going to have to have a monster game from Ja as... Danny pointed out, probably have to have a similarly consistently good game from JV as well. Um, and everyone, everyone's got to play well. Yeah. It's so, just, I don't know. I, I just, and I also think that there's this, I mean, I know that we've now played in, this will be the third play-in game or, or do-or-die game we've played in, but the Warriors are a championship caliber team. They've been to the finals. They've won. They, they know how to do that. And so I think that's going to come into play too. And that's why they're going to probably beat us. But I will not be hoping that happens, but I think that's probably right. what will happen. Right, I, and I'll echo what, what, what you just said, Mac, what you said, Danny. Go Grizz, all day. We're going to got to stay stay with the whole team, and I can't pick against Memphis. It's just, I got I to gotta ride. Got to ride or die with, with the Grizzlies. So let's go Grizz, and let's, let's hope we can get that dub tomorrow. Prove me wrong. So, yeah, <laughs> prove, let's all Please. prove Mac wrong. They're going to listen to this podcast and just play it on loop. Just and like your soundbite, Mac. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I'm going to contribute the wood to that. All right, so let's let's go on to the NBA awards now. We spent a lot of time on last night's game, which is fine. That, those are awesome they games, and like, I have no issue with that at all. But sometimes we, we as NBA fans forget that the thing that you know, or you know, you guys are now professional podcasters, but the <laughs> NBA fans and the NBA media forgets is that like the thing that's exciting are the games. That's what we're watching. Absolutely not. Not the, uh, you know, not everything else, not the free agency, not the, you know, potential matchups or whatever. And those are important and we got to talk about them and it's fun to talk yeah. about them. But the games, man, those were good and games I, look, we and watched. I, and I got I, totally, totally up front with, with all of y'all. It's being in law school, obviously super busy. I'm in bar prep now, which obviously sucks so much. I got stuff done early today to make sure I could have time to do podcasts. And then even after we finish recording, probably going to take a small break and then we're straight back to bar prepping. But anyway, I haven't watched as much basketball as I would like. I still follow the league very closely, but to watch both games last night from start to finish was awesome. It was just so, it was great. Just sit down, watch awesome basketball. What, that was just refreshing, refreshing. I'm glad you had that moment. That sounds good. Yeah, it was nice. Let's move on to the NBA awards. Now, I, in my opinion, y'all can tell me if, if you disagree or not. I think... One, two, three. I'd say a good amount of these awards are pretty straightforward. And there's maybe one, maybe two that it's an actual discussion where I'm where do you where who do you how do you have you think would win? Um, 
Do you disagree or, or agree, Mac? No, I think you're totally right. Uh, I'm, yeah, so I'm looking at the list, we and can, I'm like, I can think of what the two are. Yeah, so let's just like run through the. Let's do it like this. Let's run through the the straightforward ones, and then save the ones that we'll have a legitimate discussion for for the last bits. So. I'm so excited That's... for for figuring out what the set ones. I've been debating all of these in my head all day, essentially, except for one. But other every other one, I I flip flopped on a few of them, so I'm excited okay. to see which I, ones. No, okay. I do think there are arguments to be made for other players and or coaches, but yeah. at the end of the day, I think it comes down to a pretty good consensus on most of these right. awards. Yeah, let's see what so happens. Let's start. Let's start with MVP, and let's just say our MVP on three, one, two. Three, Jokic. Nikola Jokic. Nikola okay, Jokic. Good. That's just that's that's one I that's one yeah, I was always set on. The Steph Curry stuff, you know, even LeBron coming out and say, "Oh, Steph is the MVP." Blah blah. No, he's not the MVP. He's probably not even going to finish second. Like he's probably going to finish third. Could he finish second? Yes. And would that be just absolutely mind blowing? No. It's it wouldn't. It would be reasonable for him to finish second. But even then, Joel should be second place, and Nikola should win the MVP, he will. Like, he will win MVP. So, I think that one's pretty straightforward. I thought Nikola was the MVP. I thought he was my MVP from the start of the season, yeah. really. Not like, you know, that that that's possible. But I, there was a lot of chatter about Joel before. There were not even chatters on the way. There was a consensus that Joel was putting up the most quote-unquote dominant yeah. season and all this sort of stuff. And he definitely had an argument because of the way that he was um, so defensively elite on top of being offensively mm-hmm. elite, of right? Course. Uh, whereas Nikola Jokic is um, defensively good, and I think everyone who understands basketball at this point understands that he's a good yeah. defender. He scrapes his feet. He has really good hands and great anticipation. Gets a lot of steals. Secures rebounds. Lots of steals. Good yeah, too. yeah, yeah. Like yeah, and he's, he does he does everything right on defense for yeah. for someone of his you know his build and size and whatever. Like he does great. He does he's a good defender in that regard at the very least. Um, and I thought offensively though, it's just it's always just been. It's it's worlds ahead of Embiid, and that's not a that's not a knock on Embiid at all. Who put up a really incredible season, who shot the ball really well from all over the floor, and was a bucket. But you double you double team Joel Embiid, and um, there were problems for the Seventy Sixers. Right. You double team Joel Embiid, and things didn't always work out. And it was a, a almost a safe bet on how to not stop him. He's still going to score a lot of points and going to do great things and whatnot. But it was going to frustrate him and and make the game more challenging for the Seventy Sixers. Um, and I, I, I always like just I, there's nothing you can do with it, uh, with Jokic, um, and it, also there's no one who and I I had a bias because there's no one who plays like him. I've never seen I've never seen anyone What's who that? plays like him, yeah. even though maybe Dirk Nowitzki has some like, you know, resemblances or whatever or whatever you want to say. But no, he's it's wild. It's yeah, insane. It's, insane. I, it's the numbers. The numbers plus the style. It's just crazy, and I and I love it. So anyway. That's my thoughts. Uh, I just want to pose a question, uh, which is: If Steph had played all seventy-two games, is this what? What kind of discussion are we having? Is it, uh, Danny? Would you feel similar? How, how many more games do they win? How many more games do they win? He missed yeah. like ten to twelve games, I think. So, I don't know. I mean, you'd have to look at his win shares. I think. I know. There's some math. There is a little bit of math of the on-off record type thing. Yeah. Um, no, that's that's my question. He put up amazing production and deserves to have his name in the conversation. Um, and it, you know, it's one of those you, it's like, should you fault him for not having as much talent? Because Jokic definitely has more talent around mm-hmm. him um, and all that sort of stuff. 
But no, he won more games than he did, and he put up crazy numbers. And you know, Steph does it for the whole season. If he ends up as a, if he ends up playing Jokic as the four five seed or whatever, like yeah, it's a legitimate conversation. If he's a six seed or a seven seed still in the playoff playing tournaments, no, because at the end of the day, production is incredibly important and team successes, and that makes sense, and that is the right way of doing it. I don't know why. Feel like the media gets into these conversations which do we listen to what do we do i'm like well it's, it's both it's just both it's always has been both you you if you watch basketball you figure out who's you know putting up numbers and doing it in a way that's winning games that's just the way it goes yeah i mean i think to answer your question back too i think it's it's a discussion that we would be having but i think Jokic would still be would still be the mvp his especially his impact on winning for that nuggets team it's just on it's insane it's it's kind of it's pretty much unparalleled, and you add in the amount of production that Danny's talking about before that Jokic provides, it's just it's insane. And again, Steph is incredible. Steph is just an absolute savant with with the basketball in his hand as a shooter and as everything. He's incredible. But uh, I, I think it's just Jokic is MVP, and even if Steph were to play longer this year, uh, Jokic is still MVP, and I I could say that with with genuine confidence. So, yeah. Next one, Francis. <laughs> what else is locked and loaded, penciled in already? All right, so MVP's set. That's great. Now let's, uh, I think, let's do most improved because I feel like most improved okay. should also be pretty straightforward. I'll I'll let uh, Mac. I'll let you go first. Who is your most improved player of the year? Um, I think there is the deepest well of potential arguable candidates, if that makes sense, in this category. But sure. I think that the person who will win it and deserves it is Julius Randle. Um, his shot yep. making has been unbelievable. I mean, he's gone from being a 25% three-point shooter to like a 40% free throw, uh, three-point three shooter. It's nuts. I mean, that's basically unparalleled. Uh, In year seven, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there you go. And he's, I mean, it's not like he's out here taking wide open shots. I mean, he's getting to his spot well defended and still hitting basically everything, especially at the right, top of the right um uh, the right elbow, I guess, uh, which is kind of his go-to. But, um, I mean, yeah, I, I feel like that's, you know, he was a borderline out of the league, close to conversation two years ago, and now he's an all-star, um, borderline all-NBA player this year. And so I, I think it's got to go to him. Yeah, I agree. I, it's Julius Randle. Um, there is a period of time in the season where Julius Randle had a higher assist percentage than Kyrie Irving. And I'm looking at the final tally now. Julius Randle is only two spots below Kyrie Irving for wow. assist percentage. And he is a top 25 in the NBA for assists. Last season, he averaged 3.1 assists per game. This year, he averages six. And to av- to double your assist total, or total, a- assist average. Essentially the same on team that as well. Knicks, yeah, on, on that roster is insane. Like, that's, that's absolutely crazy to be able to do that. Now, can you couple that with RJ Belt, RJ Barrett's development, sure, he has developed a ton, and I'll die on R.J. Barrett Hill. I've been waving his flag since he got drafted. When people were like, "Oh, he's the next Andrew Wiggins. He's not going to be good at all." I'm like, ah, I think he's going to be pretty good. He has he he has that it factor to him that Wiggins never seemed to have. But anyway, uh, he's developed well in the second season, so that's good to see. So maybe you could couple that with how Julius Randle's assist totals and play assist average, excuse me, in playmaking has gone up, but still pretty much the same roster that it's just it's impressive that what he's done this year. So I think it's pretty clear for me that Julius Randle is the most improved player. Danny, do you agree with us or no? 
Yeah, I mean, th- yeah, I did agree with this one. I should have. I, I was thinking about it. This one I agreed with, too. Uh, Julius Randle. I think that this one is kind of a... It's such an uh, ambiguous award, right? Like, what are we are we talking about players that go from this to this or this to this? Sure. And, like, you know, play, what is what is the difference in those leaps? You know, Zach Levine, for instance, um, who has been... Who I've always had faith in as a good player, has made a leap into near-great player territory, which I think All-Star. he'll continue to do. So, yeah, yeah all-star... Which is still, which is, I think, whatever, very good. I think he'd be like great. I think he could be like, you know, like turn it on in the playoffs, great type player in a, in a year or two or whatever. But you know, that was also kind of a linear, almost tr- career tra- trajectory. Not quite. Not everyone believed in him, but something like that. Uh, I do think Julius Randle uh, gets the nod uh, due to the fact that, um, yeah, he didn't seem to know how to play winning basketball for for a long time. He knew how to play basketball for sure, and he was talented at playing basketball. Uh, he didn't know how to play winning basketball. That changed this year, where he's yeah. turned up his defensive intensity, mm-hmm. uh, been a been a centerpiece of a really great defensive team. Um, uh, despite the fact, you know, you heard for years he had short arms and the wrong build. He was a tweener, and he's saying, "Nah, screw that. I'm gonna lock people down." Um, and offensively, yeah, like again, of course, the three point percentage is is unprecedented in year seven to go to this to that. But um, beyond that, his the way he's able to um, move the ball and, and be like a be like a creator for people um, is really impressive, and that is kind of the winning basketball aspect stuff. And I want to reward guys who are doing winning basketball stuff because I think that uh, I think that deserves to be rewarded. Yeah, absolutely. His win shares this year are seven point eight, and his win shares per forty eight is a point one four zero. And just for context, league that's average right. is point one. So I mean, that's really good. That's just. He has become a winning basketball player, which, as to the point that both of y'all were making uh, about Julius Randle in the past, you couldn't necessarily say that about him. So yeah. it, it's it's really good for it's really impressive to see. And as y'all said, and go from uh, from last season to this season, in this stage of his career, in year seven of his career, is it's awesome. It's great to see. So I think he he very well deserves most improved player. All right. So moving on to another another award. Let's do coach of the year. And then I think we'll get into the awards, a uh, couple of awards that might get a bit touchy. Uh, so let's do coach of the year and I'll start speaking of the Knicks. I, I think it's Tom Thibodeau as coach of the year because he took this Nick team, which uh, was not <laughs> yeah, good. That chuckle says it all. <laughs> yeah. Just, they weren't very good last year and they haven't been very good in a long time. To being a top-tier defense, really they're fighting. They're fighting whenever they step onto the floor. They embody that Thibodeau spirit that we all know that that he just exudes out there into the world. That gritty, hard-nosed type personality. And his his team is bought into it. And again, Julius Randle is a great example of that. RJ Barrett is a great example of that. And it's just... It's impressive what they've done, what the Knicks have done. They're the four seed in the East. I mean, come on. That's that's absolutely incredible. They brought life back to the Garden, and I think Tom Thibodeau is the coach of the year. What do you all think? Um, do you agree or disagree, Mac? I disagree, but okay. not, I disagree not strongly. Too, so. I think it's a great take, and he probably will. Yeah. Win. Okay. Go ahead, Mac. Go ahead, because I, I disagree as well, and I'm just I'm interested to see where you lean. So I think that it, this is a three-person race between Thibodeau, uh, Monty Williams in Phoenix and Quinn Snyder, who is I think probably the third guy out, but I that's who I think I would pick to win is Quinn Quinn Snyder. I think the okay. that the Jazz have been so good for so long, kind of in that 
you know, three to six range in the West is something that people didn't really care about because it was Salt Lake City. And the fact that they were the best team in the league this year in a, in a season where I think we've had nearly as many great teams as we have maybe ever seen in our, in our lives, or at least in quite some time, is extremely impressive. It doesn't get talked about enough. Um, and, you know, obviously they have the system around Gobert defensively. Um, and they've also had a lot of injuries this year that they've been able to weather, whether it be Donovan Mitchell, whether it be Mike Conley, whether it be Jordan Clarkson or Joe Ingles, it doesn't matter. Their team is deep. They have a, a great system in place. Um, and the fact that they ended up, you know, finishing atop the league is something that I think should be recognized. Uh, and Quinn Snyder is, is a great coach. And like I said, I don't think he's going to win it. It probably will be Tibbs, but I, that's who I would pick. Yeah, I totally agree um, in, the, in the sense that he is a great coach. Um, his ability to work rotations is really impressive. He was able to push them from being a to being a very good team to an elite team. Yeah. After being a good and team, he really did the whole range of things. Yeah, it is. It's incredibly hard. Um, it's one of those things. It's very similar to most improved player, where it's like, what are we looking for? What leap are we looking to make? For instance, I would liken him in some respects to like Jalen Brown, who took a leap this year and played really great basketball. It's not really in the conversation because he was already a very good basketball player who was playing winning basketball prior and now is playing better winning basketball. And Quinn Snyder just keeps getting better and he doesn't, so therefore he never gets talked about as quote unquote coach of the year because he's never had a bad team turn better. Uh, I totally, I totally agree with you. I don't think he'll win either for those same reasons. Um, but I will also say I think Monty Williams uh, deserves that uh, award in my opinion. Uh, Monty Williams deserves it because he too. Uh, has gotten really good at his rotations. He's been implementing tweaks to his offensive and defensive schemes throughout the year and constantly making this team better as, as their record just seemed to gain more and more momentum. Their wins gained more and more momentum over the course of the year. And he seemed to really hone in on what he needed to do to be successful. I remember watching him with the, um, I want to say Pelicans, but obviously not the Pelicans, uh, the Way Hornets back, when it was back the in the day. Oh, I guess yeah, the Hornets. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. Cool. So the Hornets, um, Chris Chris Paul led Hornets, and I didn't think he was um, a particularly great coach at that time. Um, I that uh, not exactly his fault. Chris Paul was otherworldly, but the rest of the talent, while very good, David West, Peja Stojakovic, uh, wasn't really Peja. as good as the rest of rest of the rest of the league but i didn't think that he was doing too a particularly great job of maximizing the skill sets of his players and then when they made it through the bubble and had such a great bubble run uh i and they just i i i was afraid they were gonna get you know sarver is known for being cheap i was afraid they were gonna just do the safe thing which was keep the coach that had done it and he wasn't going to be able to handle the, uh, the next year's expectations and he's really proven me wrong in that regard obviously chris paul helps a ton but again, if you just look at the way in which he has been able to make tweaks to rotations, tweaks to uh, the plays and sets that he runs, out-of-bounds plays that he runs, everything got better and better over the course of the year. And everyone's playing their best ball right now. Um, I think that's really impressive. I, want, I, I would give it to Monty Williams. But again, each of those guys have great cases. Um, and, you know... I feel for someone like, like you say, Quinn Snyder. Maybe I don't. Probably doesn't care. <laughs> but he's not going to win a coach of award, coach of the year award, probably for some time because he's always going to be in a great situation because he's Similar a great coach. Alone. But uh, yeah, yeah. Same also, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, every guy we mentioned, they all have a legitimate case or for winning coach of the year. So uh, we'll see. We'll see who does win the award. Tibbs is mine. For Mac, it is the 
man from the Utah Jazz, Quinn Snyder. And then for Danny, it is Monty Williams of the Phoenix Suns. So it's good to have different. I like I like hearing all the the different yeah. names that y'all brought up. And again, I did you I think this think was that, one we would agree on, Francis? I did. I did think it was one we'd agree on, uh, but like at the same time, I, I do fully understand that there are cases to be made for all three of these guys. Uh, but I, uh, I mean, I thought we'd agree, but that's fine. You obviously don't. We obviously don't have to agree. <laughs> so that's great. I'm I'm glad that I'm actually glad we didn't agree. So have a little bit of little differences in the in the predictions. So that's coach of the year. So let's move on to let's do rookie of the year. Now. Rookie of the year, I'll let Danny, since you haven't let off, I'll let you lead off for rookie of the year. Sure. Uh, I would want to go with LaMelo Ball uh, because I do think, for, for a lot of reasons, uh, for, for a few reasons. Uh, one, um, talking about winning basketball, he plays winning basketball and he plays on a winning basketball team. And that always has other things to do with Terry Rozier, another guy not getting mentioned in our most improved Thing, but might have won a most improved award in years past. Um, Terry Rozier, uh, Gordon Hayward, uh, you know, and then obviously his, his wings around him and his power forwards around him and P.J. Washington and, um, oh, Miles Bridges, the rapper. Um, <laughs> anyone listen to his mixtape yet? Is it, no. I heard it's good. No? Okay, all right, all right. Maybe Don't I get defensive, I heard it's good. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I think, you know, he, he has a good team. He, has a, he had a better team around him that kind of just needed Gordon Hayward and a little lighter fluid, which he ended up being, to be a, like a fun winning team. Uh, Devontae Graham, another guy. But um, and, and his peak was also, him at his best was better than my pick. Uh, it, it had better production than my pick. Mm-hmm. Um, but he didn't play long enough in my book. Um, and I think, I was thinking about this, I was thinking how I judged the MVP award and how I was like, you know, Embiid, you know, had this conversation, maybe I'd have to take it more seriously if he played more games. We asked Steph, maybe if he played more games. And I, I didn't, I don't see a lot of that in the media conversation around rookie of the year. It's just that, oh, Lamella's been the best rookie uh, and he should win rookie of the year. And I'm like, that, that's fair. He certainly, I think, also has been the best rookie. Um, it's incredible the way that he is able to, his shooting, which I thought would be a problem. He's really... Uh, ironed out his form he shoots consistently and he shoots with such confidence that he's able to do it in a myriad of ways kind of you know curry-esque in that his balance doesn't need to be uh perfect to get off a good shot i think that's super impressive obviously his his ability to pass the ball is obscene lewd uh (laughs) pornographic i not say for work um, I can't have it on my laptop. Yeah. Um, but you know, and then he rebounds the ball incredibly well. He's really a triple threat of a of a of a player, uh, and it's so impressive because I was pretty low on him coming in. Just uh, didn't have much faith, having seen a lot of his uh, you know, not I can't say I watched a ton of his games, but his highlights and the way he would shoot the ball and the decisions he would make. Really, him shooting the ball consistently with confidence uh, has opened up the rest of his game because he gets by people because they have to respect the shot. And then it seems like everything freezes. And it's like he's doing one of those, you know, 90s sitcoms timeouts. <laughs> um, and just is like, which pass am I going to make now? Exactly. Um, and those are all the great things about the ball. Uh, but he didn't play enough for me. Um, you know, if I'm going to say MVP has to, you know, not hit a, hit a you know, game's threshold, but has to be productive over the course of the season, I'm going to give it to Anthony Edwards. Likely Anthony Edwards is going to go down as not the best player in his draft if LaMelo Ball is able to stay healthy. But Anthony Edwards will... 
I think Godown as a very good player. He seems to be really finding his form from the three-point line, um, and he seems to be understanding better the pick-and-roll. I don't think he'll ever be a particularly creative uh, pick-and-roll partner uh, in his passing, uh, but I do think it'll be serviceable, and I do think he will be a fireplug scorer. Uh, and, you know, hopefully com- combine that with Cat's all-around uh, ability to score, and who does make some really nice passes out of short rolls and post-ups and stuff. Hopefully that gives them enough to be a really competitive team in the future. I just kind of want to reward Anthony for um, being, you know, coming into this season on a shortened uh, schedule, having to learn the game on the fly. He said he finally felt like he got used to the three-point line's depth um, from a legs and a depth perception standpoint about midway in the season, which might have been easier for him if he had more summertime. I want to reward him for all of the things that he did and all the work he had to put in mid-year. Um, and again, I think Lamelo goes down as the best player in the draft, and you know I want him to have something to hang his hat on because he's cool. He's really freaking cool. I like it when he says funny things in interviews. <laughs> I, would, I would love it if he were just like, but at the end of the day, he's funny in interviews, and that's why I got to give it to him. <laughs> that's why I got to give it to him. He says funny things. All right. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think Lamelo has been the best rookie, but I'm also, I I just, I think Anthony Edwards has a legitimate case for it because he's, he's played very well over the past like month and a half, two months of, of, of the season, especially when, when uh, D'Angelo Russell went down for a while, then Malik Beasley got suspended. It was really Anthony Edwards and Cat as a helicopter somehow flies by my apartment. Very confused about that. But uh, like he's played very well, and he's, his efficiency has gone a little bit better. Obviously, that was a knock on him in college and a big knock on him for the first half of the season. But his efficiency has improved. The three-point shooting percentage has improved. His scoring has gotten better, and he's, he's had a really solid, really good close to the year. Uh, I think LaMelo has, is the best player, um, best rookie out of his class right now. And it's tough because he really has been the best best rookie. But again, the game's played thing. But yeah, I I think if Anthony Edwards were not, if he didn't show this progression that he has shown over the past couple months in his game, in his efficiency and his scoring, then I would be fine giving it to Lamelo. But uh, I I think Anthony Edwards is a deserving rookie of the year, considering how much he has improved throughout the season and where he is at now. And the whole games played thing you said about Lamelo earlier. So Anthony Edwards is also also my rookie of the year. Mac, what about you? Um, I was coming into this my own, like lone note um, that I wanted to bring up was that this was a, a closer matchup or a closer I guess race than uh, I think the, the the maybe general passerby of. Uh, NBA fandom, I, I guess the fair weather maybe NBA fan would, would assume because it seems like the media narrative... Casual. Casual, thank you, thank you. you think the guy who studied English would know how to use words. Um, no, it's just, the, it's just the word they're all using now. Whenever like an NBA player, like if someone tweets something about them you know, blowing, they'll be like, casual on Twitter or whatever. It's the new phrase. Okay. <laughs> go for it. Anyway, go for it. Uh, but yeah, but I'm so I'm really glad that you guys both think that Anthony Edwards uh, is going to be it. Um, I don't have anything else to add that Danny didn't 
beautifully uh, say in his spoken word essay on the rookie of the year for 2021. Um, but I am going to go with LaMelo uh, just for the sole fact that um, even though I, I'm looking up there, their usage percentage is pretty much the same, actually. Uh, I do feel like LaMelo has to do more because he is uh, the point guard. Uh, he's He also has, as Danny mentioned, amazing vision. Um, and, you know, nothing against Anthony Edwards, who, I mean, in a weird way, you could say could possibly be the most improved player this year since he started off so poorly and ended up being nearly <laughs> the best rookie uh, in his class. Um, but, I, yeah, I just think because there's more expected of uh, LaMelo, especially because he's pretty much the best player on his team, whereas Anthony Edwards is the second or maybe third best, depending on how well D'Angelo Russell is playing. Um, I, I think that those You mean are... Malik Beasley, but that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think for those reasons, there's a little bit more expectation on him, and so he should be rewarded for that. But uh, I do respect the the uh, minutes played, the games played argument. I think that's, yeah. I, yeah. I, I totally think LaMelo's going to win, too, and I think he's deserving, and I'm not going to, there's nothing to take away from him. I just think it's it's just interesting how the whole media narrative around MVP is, you know. Yeah. There's a lot of conversation around production and how much, how many games played and where guys don't constitute when they don't play and then be dropped off because of this and that. And with rookie of the year, I've just seen very straightforward. Like he's been the best rookie. He was the best rookie, and I'm like, but he didn't play for two thirds of the se- or one third of the yeah. season. You know. That's a totally anyway, but I think it went and and good for him. I think it'd be kind of funny if they said to Anthony Edwards, "Hey, man, you're not rookie of the year. It's Lamelo, but here's the most improved award because <laughs> of you really have improved. Really, is that would feel be. so much. <laughs> that would feel so much like winning Mr. Hustle yeah. at a basketball <laughs> camp or whatever. You'd be like, oh my. <laughs> That'll be, that'll be pretty funny, but yeah, I, I echo what uh, what Danny said, and I definitely understand what you said about uh, giving it to Lamelo for you, Max. So all all very very good takes on on the rookie of the year conversation. Uh, so let's move on to the last award, and that is six man of the year. And Mac, I will start with you. Who is your six man of the year? Um, okay, so I'm gonna go. I'm between two jazz players here. Um, yeah, you'll probably as I think, think as most people yeah, are. As most people are. Um, and real quick, Francis, there is defensive player of the year, but I think we all assume that's going to. Oh be yes, I'm sorry. Player. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I totally thank you for that. Yes. Yeah, but yeah. So let's just do that. Get fast, that out of the way. Yeah, and that's Rudy Gobert. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, really quick though, is there anyone else? Like, I think Draymond deserves to be in the conversation, though I haven't yeah. heard the. Con- there's no, there is no conversation. So is there anyone else I should be thinking about? Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons. Giannis. Got it. Yeah. Giannis. They, okay, they're, they'll be on the ballot of folks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really I just want to make sure I was like hearing, I was hearing things. But yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, it'll be Gobert. Yeah, and he deserves it too for sure. Yeah, yeah. His advanced d- defensive metrics are unbelievable. So, um, not that that's the only thing. But, unadvanced ones are pretty good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so for uh, six man of the year, sp- sticking with the uh, the Jazz, I'm gonna go with Joe Ingles over Jordan Clarkson. I know that, that this award traditionally goes to people who shoot the ball a lot and score the ball a lot off the bench, and that is an important role, um, even if you're not doing it uh, efficiently off the bench. But uh, speaking of advanced numbers, if you look uh, at the difference between Clarkson and Ingles, Clarkson is killing him in the per game in total, uh, but every advanced metric per 36, per 100 possession, um, um, field goal you know, percentage, adjusted um, you know, percentage, Everything points to Joe Ingles being a significantly more impactful player 
Um, and it, not only that, uh, he's also a, an underrated passer. He's really good with the ball. He doesn't turn it over very often. Well, that's actually not true. He turns it over about as much as Jordan Clarkson. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, yeah, he not only yeah, so where where yes, there is a difference in their scoring ability. I mean, I'm looking at Basketball Reference here. Um, he score. I think he creates about 300 or 400 more points off of assists than. Uh, uh, Jordan Clarkson, which still doesn't probably get him up to an equitable amount of points, but it, it shows that he is a versatile player. He can do a lot of different things. Um, but it was also close. He started 30 games. He was about one or two games away from not being able to be eligible for this award. Um, but for me, it's Joe Ingles. I think he's underrated um, and just a, a terrific um, all-around player. Yeah. Go ahead, Danny. No, that's Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, lo- I don't like this award in some ways. Uh, I wish we could figure out something else, like best role player award or something, right? I don't get this bench versus, you know, versus non-bench, because again, Ingles has demonstrated that being a bench player and not being a bench player, especially in a year like this, uh, kind of depends on what's going on with the rest of your team around you, Um, especially for these really good guys who you're using as um, stabilizing forces for units that don't have your best player, essentially, which is... What this should stabilizing or 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 energy points, uh, which is essentially what this ward is kind of looking at is like when your best player is off the court, and all your points have stopped coming in. How are you going to score points? Who's doing that for you? How are they creating that? Right, something yeah. along those lines. Something I'm more interested in because the bench not bench dynamic is challenging. A lot of these bench guys coming off the bench have a tendency, like you have said, to be purely scorers because it's really easy to measure. And, you know, you can put a scorer on the bench who can't defend and throw them in with a backup unit and keep the points afloat, but maybe not really actually be particularly helpful to your team. It might be what you have as a team, right? You might need that, but it might not actually be particularly helpful. Um, it might still, you might still lose points. You might still get outscored along the way, even if that, you know, person who's scoring 20 points off the bench or whatever is scoring those 20 points. Does that kind of make sense? Totally. Not sure, I'm saying yeah. right Okay. No, yeah. So, cool. So, you know, Joe Ingles is actually a net positive player mm-hmm. uh, in any lineup you put him in. Yeah, he for is sure. going to shoot the ball lights out from the perimeter, um, forcing def- defenses to stretch themselves to where he is. He can navigate pick and rolls to score uh, points off of them or pass out to people to score points off of them or, or alley oops or whatever it takes. And defensively, he's good enough to at least put up. To one, he'll be a good scheme defender, help side, all that sort of stuff, but also put up a fight in the individual one-on-one defense. So he's not a sieve like a lot of these six men of the war have often been uh, defensively. I like him too. I've, just, I've decided he deserves it and to give it to him. I flip-flopped on this one only because, again, he played so many games as a starter. And that's where I would say, you know, why don't we just name something where we figure out, you know, the best role player or something like that. I, I, I don't have a great name for it. I'm sure players would not like to be called the best role player. Um, <laughs> Sixth man of the year sounds a little bit, you know, a little bit better. I get that. Um, but, yeah, um, I think he deserves it. Jordan Clarkson, uh, if he had kept up his scoring streak, would have deserved it because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, he was putting up – the first half of the season were just – it was insane. Yeah, it was nuts. It was really great. It was really great numbers. People were talking about him as, like, an all-star, like, not yeah. very seriously. But, you know, there was at least a minor chatter about that. He was putting up really insane numbers. Um, so, you know, I would, I, would, I would have to have considered it. But, yeah, it fell off, and that's fine. He's still valuable. He still does what they need him to do. They need him to take shots. It's very um, – one person that 
I doesn't get talked didn't get talked about for defensive player of the year, which is Matisse Thybul. Doesn't shoot the ball enough to get enough minutes is like is like what people are saying. I know this is kind of going all over the place, but in the sense that like you need as a player, no matter what your percentages are, you need to shoot the ball a certain amount to generate um, defensive pressure on you. Kind of regardless of how well you're shooting the ball. Someone like Matisse Thybulle doesn't have enough confidence in himself to do it. Someone like Jordan Clarkson probably has a little bit too much confidence, but they still need him to shoot the ball, and he's doing what he's supposed to do. Some other people I just want to shout out, Emmanuel Quickly. I think he deserves some. Hmm. I didn't really hear much chatter about him, but, you know, he was a really great off-the-bench player for them. Emmanuel probably should have been their starting – should have been a starting point guard, but whatever, he wasn't. Um, hey, Derek Rose, come on. <laughs> Thaddeus Young. Thaddeus Young did – yeah. Uh, some really impressive things for a team that just wasn't particularly good, so he's not getting talked about. He could Jalen smoke. Brunson. Go for it. I was going to say, Thad Young should get some. I mean, I don't know if he'll get on a ballot, but he's his most improved case, it exists. It's not, he's not yeah. the way that he might not even get a ballot, but he's he, he had a great season this year. He had a great season, and he came off the bench mostly, and I would throw him in there. Um, and uh, his, the bench unit actually for the Bulls was better usually than the um, than the Zach Levine led minutes, not as a fault to Zach Levine. His his uh, he just got stuck with a lot of. He would also play with a lot of backups without that, and just get torched defensively. Anyway, that was great. Uh, and Jalen Brunson really great this year. Uh, he was maybe the maybe the second best player on the Mavericks. Um, they all have deserved to have chitter chatter. Uh, they won't get the award, but that's fine. Um, shout out to Joe Ingles. He is uh, a great representative. Of people who look like you should be getting into a bar <laughs> fight with playing in the NBA. Not many people, not many of them exist left in the NBA. So, I agree. I agree. So, for the sake of time, I will give a very brief reasoning as to why this person's this person is my sixth man of the year. I fully understand the advanced stat, statistical argument for Joe Ingles, but my pick is Jordan Clarkson purely because a Filipino has never won an NBA award ever. And he is half Filipino, and I, the fact the, uh, to see that happen would be freaking awesome for me. So I would love yeah. to see Jordan Clarkson win Sixth Man of the Year. He's all he does have a case. He he, I mean, as you all talked yeah. about, he has a legitimate case. He could very well win this. I think this is the tightest one between the tightest award. I think between these two people, uh, it's it's we'll see. It'll be fascinating to see how the the voting goes for Sixth Man of the Year between Joe Ingles and, and Clarkson. But he's Filipino. Oh, I'm giving it to Jordan Clarkson. <laughs> that's, that's, that's awesome. Fine. No, I, I hate... My least favorite thing is when, like, journalists or whatever will say, you know, I'm setting aside all my biases and making a decision here. Like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not setting them aside. You're, like, thinking about them or whatever, but, like, you can't set aside your biases. You might as well embrace that and say, hell yeah, I want a Filipino to win yeah. this award. And he has well, a really damn good reason to do yeah, it. Yeah, That's good. That's good so, enough for me. That's, that's, that's my pick. All right, so we are... That's, those are the awards. And uh, for the sake of time, again, we still want, I would still like to do first round matchups and at least do predictions for them. But Quick hitters. Yeah. Quick hitters. We can, we'll, we'll do we quick can, hitters. We can go through them super fast and um, we'll start in the Eastern Conference. Well, one of, obviously, we got some playing games left. We have two right. playing games we left. We got some playing But I think the one seed in most conferences has the best chance at this, so. We can probably pencil in the uh, 76ers, and we can probably pencil in uh, the Utah Jazz versus either the Pacers or the Wizards. I'd rather it be for the Sixers. You mean sorry? The, yeah, Sixers. Sorry, yeah, they'd be the they'd be the yeah Sixers. I'd rather it be the uh, I guess 76ers, but I don't really care. Yeah, I. I mean the the Wizards, but I don't really care. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, I've got Philly in four either way. 
Yeah, I'm yeah. feeling for maybe a gentleman sweep, but yeah, probably feeling for in the Eastern Conference there for the one eight two seven. This will be fun to see Kyrie play the Celtics without you know it's there's no Jalen Brown, so this matchup really doesn't have a lot of fun to it. Tatum was great in the playing game, but it's just Tatum and friends. Kemba, he's yeah. hurt a bunch, so it's friends. really Tatum and friends. And even um, when he's not hurt, he's just not been playing like he hasn't been playing Kemba, very well. Kemba yeah. of of Charlotte. Yeah, he, um, I think this, that's why I said I think this team's in for an implosion. Which I'll if I hope it doesn't happen, but I think it might um, because I think they're a really fun young team, and I don't want that to be on their psyche. I but agree. like, yeah, they've just been playing so poorly yeah. and so confusedly. And unless Tatum, what could the other possibility? Tatum goes off for four games and they get swept, in which case might be an okay thing because then they're getting some rest and Tatum feels like the man. But that's the best case scenario, really. Yeah. So, Nets as well. I'm assuming Nets for the both of you. Yeah, I got yeah. I got Brooklyn at four again. Um, just on yep. that point, Danny, I think that there's there have been enough injuries and weird things that have happened in Boston that you can go into the offseason and create a narrative that's like, you know what, we should have been better, sure, but there were a lot of injuries, a lot of COVID stuff happened. We're going to toss that one out, and if we, yeah, if they're bad again next year, then Yes, you can make this. A yeah, no, it isn't. It it doesn't have to be permanent. They can escape yeah. it. I just worry about those things. You know, Fair, uh, you know, definitely. having dealt with, you know, playing in, in these team environments and losing a bunch of games can be really demoralizing, and it can be hard to shake. But right, it, it doesn't necessarily have to happen that way. Yeah, that's that's a. It's a fair point, Mac. I ho- I hope what you said is what happens than what Danny said <laughs> to the Celtics. Me too. All right, so 3-6 matchup in the East, Milwaukee Bucks versus the Miami Heat. So basically the Bucks versus the ghost of bubble past. That's yes. <laughs> basically what this matchup is. So this this should be a fun one, I think, guys. You yeah. will have winning it. I'm going to go ahead and say um, the Bucks. Okay. Uh, probably in like 6 or 7. Okay. You get to game 7, I get a little bit more nervous about my pick. Mm-hmm. Um, because Jimmy Butler wants to win, damn it. Very he badly. wants it more. He's yeah. the only guy in the NBA who I can actually say wants it more, and I don't feel delusional. Like, all these guys want to win so bad, but yeah. somehow Jimmy Butler wants to win it more. You know what I miss? I miss headband Jimmy, or the, the freaking, oh, what's it called? Oh, oh the bandana. Band this? Yeah, bandana Jimmy. I thought that was such a great look for him mm-hmm. when they mm-hmm. <laughs> when he was on the Sixers. I loved it. It was such a weird band. They called it unprofessional. Like, yeah, it's unprofessional. I'm not wearing a headband to my job, but I'm not an NBA basketball player. What do you mean I can't wear a tie headband on the court? Anyway. Whatever. Yeah, Mac, what what do you think? Um, I'm Miami in six here. This is... Not only is this a matchup of the... You know, obviously last year, the Heat surprising the Bucks. This is the second fastest paced team and the second slowest paced team in the league. So it is a matchup of ideological differences um, here that really, I think, makes for great theater. And I feel bad because I didn't pick Miami in any series last year. And so, Ah. like, but like I saw it. I saw it last year. They're really good this year. Jimmy Butler is better than he was last year. And so I feel like they're going to win again. And nothing against the the Bucks, who are great and amazing and certainly could win this series, but... Until I see it done otherwise, I'm going to go with the Heat. So you're basically looking at your past mistakes and saying, nope, I am not making that again. That is I'm not. I, I'm learning from a mistake and picking the Heat. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Totally. Let me posit a quick question, sure. Mac. Let's say that the Bucks get out of it. How good do you think the Bucks are? Like, 
Bucks get out of this. They get out by the skin of their teeth, and they have to then play the two seed Brooklyn. Are what like how good are they in that series? What happens there? That's uh, well, I didn't think about it because I was thinking Miami and Brooklyn. <laughs> um, man, that's a really tough series. Like I, my I, question is, do you think the matchup is the problem, or do you think that they're just not talented enough in the way they need to no, be? No, I guess I would go with the matchup. They're definitely talented enough. Although I guess last year a lot of it came down to Giannis just not showing up. However, you want to uh, define that. But I mean, yeah, if they play Brooklyn, I think they've got. Now that they got PJ Tucker, I mean, they have guys that can guard all three of those. I mean, with Drew, Tucker, and Giannis to guard KD, Harden, and Kyrie. Yeah. Um, that is definitely that's a much better matchup, I think, than what Miami does. And like I said, because they're so stylistically different, one is super fast, one super slow. I think that's that's different than what they would be going up against with Brooklyn, where they're both relatively high-scoring offenses. They're playing similarly, and Milwaukee does have players that can match up defensively. So yeah, I was just curious. Yeah, good question, okay. Francis. What do you got? I'm going to go Bucks in seven because the X factor for me that they didn't have last year. So if we as as we're touching on last year's bubble bubble series between the two teams. There's a one key guy that the both of you know was is is a part of the Bucks now who wasn't a part of the Bucks last year, and that's Drew Holiday. He will make a difference for this Bucks team throughout the postseason. He will make a difference against the Heat in terms of adding more offensive flexibility and another great lockdown defender who you can throw different looks at Jimmy Butler that will I think really make a difference in this series. The Bucks are more equipped. Just by adding that one guy, because Drew Holiday, as as you all know, he's an, he's amazing, and I, I think I don't like Giannis hates as I've talked to Danny about <laughs> in the in our last episode that that Danny was on for. Uh, I don't. I think if there's a time for Giannis to actually make progress and try and vanquish a past ghost to move forward in his NBA career, this is it. He will vanquish the ghost of the Miami Heat and the disappointment of last year's bubble. They will win this series. It'll be tight. The Heat are still a very good team, as 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 you talk about Mac. And the matchup is good for the Miami Heat. They're gonna walk into this series with big dig energy, big dig swagger all the way. Like they're just gonna, they're not gonna doubt themselves for any second. So that'll make this a very fun and 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 tough series for 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 the Bucks. Fun fun series for us to watch. But I, I think they'll do it. I think the Bucks will do it, and I think Drew Holiday will really make a difference. So. I got Bucks. Drew Holiday's, yeah, Drew Holiday's a much better offensive player than mm-hmm. Eric Bledsoe. I think that's honestly kind of getting overlooked. Everyone's talking about him yeah. defensively. He's great defensively. Eric Bledsoe is also good defensively. Uh, he's so much better offensively in the sense that you can give him the ball and expect him to create his own shot and not be crossing your fingers. You can trust and, him. You, know, you can, you can yeah, trust Trust Drew factor through you the roof no compared to trust. Eric. Yeah, no, no. there was no trust in Eric Bledsoe at all. Drew Holiday. And they needed that. Yeah. And that Drew Holiday is the perfect player to trust to have on your team, and I and yeah. I think he will make a legitimate difference. So that's that's my pick for this series. All right. So to move on to the four or five matchup, the matchup that I'm very excited for: Knicks Hawks. I'm very excited for this four or five matchup in the East. To toot my own horn, a hundred percent. I said the Hawks would finish sixth in the East when we were doing predictions for the season, and. Connor and Grant, and we had Will McIntyre on for that podcast. 
they, they weren't buying it. <laughs> they, they really didn't agree with me. And look at them now. They're fucking fifth. So take that. <laughs> they played so well. In their defense, they, Francis, they, you were also still wrong because they didn't finish yeah, sixth. Yeah, I was. They finished, they finished the seed high. He doubted so them. They, Francis, how could you doubt the Hawks? <laughs> That's right. I was still wrong. <laughs> Correct. But they... They played so much better after the, the firing of Lloyd Pierce and hiring Nate McMillan, a, a mm-hmm. potential coach of their candidate, but I, he, he probably won't get on a ballot because he you know, was hired midway through the year or early in the year. But anyway, he's really made a huge, he's helped a huge turnaround for these Atlanta Hawks. Now, they're, again, why I love this series, it's two differing styles of basketball. The Knicks defense grinded out the Hawks. Trey Young. That's really that's really all you gotta say. They have Trey Young, who's just a, the total antithesis of the Knicks style of basketball. So that'll be really fun to watch the, the two teams play. To give my prediction first, I think the Hawks are gonna do it, and maybe it's me just not trusting in the New York Knicks. So maybe a little bit of pessimism because it's the Knicks, and like, can they find playoff success? I don't. I don't know, uh, but. I trust in these Hawks. They've been playing very good basketball over the past last two months of the season, and they're they're not bad on defense either. They're they're not a joke. They're not pushover defensively. Uh, Trey Young, he's had kind of a down year compared to last season, so he has to take a step forward if they're going to win this series. But I think I think they will. I think they'll win the series. I got Hawks in six. I um I don't have a great feel for this series. Same, exactly. Uh, but I do. Th- I do trust, in general, especially in the first round defense, and I trust bigger creators. Now, Trey Young is a better creator than Julius Randle. Julius Randle is a bigger creator. Um, in the playoffs, when you 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 can't run a trick play to win a game, like you can in football in the NBA playoffs, they are going to know all your sets, and they're going to know exactly what you're going to do every time you're doing it down the court. And at some point, that lends itself to you needing someone who is large, strong, quick, uh, who can either get a layup or create so much pressure at the rim that teams collapse on him and force you out to a shot. That is what this era, the LeBron era, has shown us. Jimmy Butler uh, did it, uh, you know, last year um, as well. But, you know, you need someone who's Kawhi Leonard. You know, you need someone who can do that for you. Julius Randle is not the perfect version of that, you know, mold. He is, he is quite different stylistically in many ways, but I trust him to be big, strong, collapse defenses, make the right passes, and he'll create shots for his teammates. Trey Young, better creator. Uh, I just know that as things start to get more physical, um, you know, that can be challenged. So th- those are my thoughts in the Knicks and Six. Okay, Knicks and Six. Matt, what about you? I have the same thing, but I, as I was thinking about it, I was like, man, this could be Knicks and Seven or Hawks and Four. Or conversely, Hawks and Seven, Knicks and Four. Like, it could be pretty much anything. Uh, I, I would, basically, everything Danny said at the beginning is what I was thinking, and then he said a lot more smart stuff after that that I hadn't thought of. <laughs> so, uh, I got New York and Six. I think there's going to be a little bit of New York magic, and they're going to pull it out. Okay, so... This is, an, this is an anti-Knicks, or anti-Hawks podcast, with the exception of you. <laughs> with okay, the, always, enough. always. That's just the rules. That's fair enough. Uh, I am the dissenting opinion to the majority that y'all have. That's fine. That's just fine to be the yeah, You're the definitely in bar prep here. right now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, so that is the 
Eastern Conference matchups. Let's run through the West and let's start with the Jazz. Well, we don't know what's going going to be. Obviously, the eight seed. We'll find that out tomorrow. It's it's um, Jazz and something. It's jazz and I, I mean, if the Warriors win, Warriors take them six that's or exactly seven. Where I was, I have Jazz and four I mean, if it's like, Memphis, six if it's Golden State. Yeah, well, yeah. honestly, even if Memphis wins, I could maybe I'm a, a, being the homer. I could see Memphis winning a game. They could. Like, yeah. I could see them five winning a gentleman sweep. Yeah, but like a gentleman sweep is probably likely. If the Warriors win, maybe they push it to six, but it's probably Jazz in five, maybe six. Um, but yeah, I mean Jazz, Jazz against whoever in five or six, I think is fair. Yep. All right, two seven, which is the Suns and the Los Angeles Lakers as the seven seed. I think this is the first series in history where the seven seed is favored over the two seed by all the odds and everything. So look. I I will I'll let I'll let Mac I'll let you have the floor first for who you do you predict will win this series. Yeah, I want to give a lot of respect to Phoenix, uh, who's had an amazing season. <laughs> I feel, I feel and <laughs> I want to also be that guy. I want to be the guy who's like, yeah, Phoenix is a good, they're a good team. They're gonna do it. I'm waiting for the butt. You just did a bless your heart. I'm just <laughs> waiting. bless their heart. That's just right. Waiting. Oh, bless their hearts. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's the butt. I do have <laughs> Lakers in five, which is really disrespectful. Oh, in five. Yeah. LeBron wow. wants to end it quick. I'm going to agree with that. LeBron wants to end it quick. Defense and big creator theory still plays. The Phoenix Suns don't have that. Devin Booker, as good as he is, is not that. And Chris Paul, as good as he is, is not that. Uh, and defense is better than Lakers. Lakers in five. LeBron wants this thing over with. He's so wow. tired from Phoenix that last have game. have a good defense, though. For what it's worth, they do, they do, they do. I mean, I just in five. I just I don't I don't agree with that. I, I'll go. I do think Lakers win, but I'll go Lakers in six, maybe seven. I, I'll pick the Lakers to win the series, but I'm looking at the the regular season games. And yeah, the no no AD for a couple of these, but the Suns took two out of three against the Lakers this season, and. The games that one of those was was AD and yeah. one of them was without AD. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Sort of so sort. that is that. Thank you. And so, uh, I mean, the Suns are good. They're very damn good. And yeah. as, as you all know, I, I. Oh man, that's tough. Lakers in five. Just I can't. I can't agree with that. I have. I have to go Lakers in six, maybe seven. But I do think the Lakers ultimately win this series. So we do agree on on that right there. So to go to the. 3-6 series. That is the Nuggets and the Trailblazers. This is another really fun series. Uh, Danny, I'll let you go first for who do you think will win this one? Yeah, uh, I think the Nuggets, uh, but it's going to be seven games uh, and it's going to be really close. Um, I think the Trailblazers are a really good team that are playing really well right now. And I know, I know their faults. We've all known their faults for the last three years, it feels like, you know. Uh, they don't have a short roll big. Their defense isn't short off enough. Uh, but nobody wants to face T.J. McCollum, um, Dame Lillard, and uh, I should I should have reversed that. I kind of put the art on <laughs> the thing. Anyway, uh, <laughs> and and Norm Powell. No one wants to face them. Um, that's that's scoring right there, and um, that's going to be a challenge for the Nuggets. Uh, but they're going to pull it out. I think it'll go seven. Okay, and so you go you go Nuggets in seven. Mm-hmm. All right, Mac. What about you? Um, I'm going to go Denver in six. Uh, this is going to be okay. very, very high scoring. There's not going to be a lot of defense, but I do no. trust, speaking of what Danny's been saying, I do trust D- Denver's defense more than I trust 
uh, Portland's, which is why I think they're going to pull it out. Um, but I do think, as he said, that McCollum and or Lillard is good for at least one or two uh, dubs right on, uh, you know, by themselves. So, um, yeah, that's I think that's it. Oh, I also like Denver's. Uh, I was going to say their their depth. uniforms. They have a little bit more depth. Oh, okay. Well, the the Denver depth is a bit shaky with all with the, the injuries, injuries that they have. Yes. So that's that's where I'll 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 be I'll be the dissenter again. I'm going to go Blazers and or it's not dissenter. I'm agreeing with Danny. Or no, Danny. I'm sorry. You pick you pick the Nuggets. I will be the dissenter. I will pick the Blazers in seven, and. My reasoning is the Blazers have been playing very, very well of late. They have figured out how to incorporate Norman Powell to that already really good offense. The defense is a little bit better, and I think it's a solid matchup without since the Nuggets with their injury issues and then no Jamal Murray, of course. I think it's a solid matchup, especially for for Dame and CJ, for dudes who... Who's gonna guard him? Like I like who's gonna guard Dame and CJ? Who's gonna lock them down? Like who's gonna lock down Dame? Like I just I'm not not sure who's gonna do that. And I, I think they're just gonna outscore the Nuggets in a very high in high scoring in a high scoring series. I think they'll outscore them. So it'll be a great series to watch. And I would love to be wrong because I w- I want to see Jokic and the Nuggets keep going further. But uh, I I think I'll go Blazers in seven for this one. Okay, to move on to the 4-5 matchup, and the last matchup for us to discuss, Clippers-Mavs, another good one in the West. I'll start off, I'll go first. Uh, I, I think it's Clippers in 5 or 6. The Clippers are really, really good. Uh, I actually think they're a team that no one's really talking about very much, because especially with their reputation from last year, but they're really good this year, y'all. Like they, they are legit, and they are the 4th seed, where the Nuggets are the 3rd seed, uh, but... I still think that the Clipper, yeah, yeah, right. That so, game against Oklahoma City, <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I think, I think they're gonna win this pretty easily. I, I think they're very, very good. I love Luka Doncic. Kristaps is obviously a great player as well, and no, he's the not. Mavs do have but good that's shooting. Okay. <laughs> the Mavs do have. Shooting obviously an an okay defense, but yeah, it's the Clippers. I, I'll go Clippers with confidence. I'll save them in five. Yeah, I kind of agree. Uh, I just think that Same. they have a, be- a better team, uh, and I don't trust uh, much of the. I think that Mavericks team needs a big overhaul. I don't trust Luca. Uh, not sorry, Luca. I don't trust Porzingis. Um, mm. I just don't trust his game. I don't think he. Something about it's off. I can't tell you what right now, but uh, I didn't see enough of him this year, but kind of recurring theme. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I don't trust that team. But, yeah, that, that your, your Clippers got in five. Okay, cool. Matt, do you agree? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Short, awesome. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. All right, so I, will wa- I want your NBA Finals predictions and NBA Champion predictions, and I don't, I don't, I just want you to give it, like gut feeling. Who do you think is going to make the Finals and who do you think will win? Danny, I'll start with you. Lakers, Bucks, Lakers. Oh, super fast. Okay. Mac? Philly, Jazz, Sixers. Wow. Yeah, I went, off the, oh, wow. I went off the wall. I like it. I like it, though. Okay, I'm sticking with my initial prediction before. Lakers, Nets, Lakers. That that was that I've been saying that Man, for that a while. Awesome. <laughs> I wish I, I had picked that. That's one. that's why I'm saying. That's why I say it because I I want to speak it into existence. I I want that to happen so badly. 
it just would be the most fun NBA final series maybe of all time like me like that's just maybe of all time that would be insane so yeah I Lakers Nets Lakers my NBA champion as my prediction officially we're gonna do bets super fast and the reason being because just because Grant and Connor are not here does that that doesn't mean that they don't get to escape drinking for the next podcast uh for this podcast though obviously Grant and Connor are not here I went five and oh so I won so they would have had to be you know, drinking for this one. This is basically so, double or nothing. It, yeah, so we'll, we'll push, we'll add on their drinks from this podcast to the next one. So, Mac, you are going to represent Connor okay. in this pick. And I haven't asked them for consent, but I don't give a damn. Like, this, this is how this is going to go. <laughs> this is how this is going to work. Grant's going to be in for a shock when he edits this podcast and gets to the end. So, Mac, you are picking for Connor. Danny, you are picking for Grant. Okay? So, I'm just going to list off games and... We'll give our predictions and then close from there. So game one, Hawks, Knicks. Mac, who do you have for Connor? Hawks, Knicks. Is this, this is a game or a series? Game one. So game so one. game one of, of, of that will be on Sunday. Um, and that's Knicks hosting. I'll go, I'll go Knicks. I should also preface this by saying uh, a, a quick apology to Connor because I've lost eight <laughs> bets in a row and 17 of oh. 19 uh, oh over the God. last 30 days. So. Oh He's gonna be God. drinking a lot probably, but let's go. <laughs> let's go, Knicks at home. <laughs> okay, Knicks at home. Danny, what about you? It's great uh, doing this without any pressure, because um, <laughs> if I lose, actually someone else loses. So we're gonna go Hawks. That, wait, hold on. I, that's I'm gonna pick the Hawks. So are you saying that that's a pick because you don't you think it's wrong? What I, I had the I had the Knicks in I had the Knicks in like six or seven. Uh, Hawks oh, can win true. game one. Hawks can win okay. game one in that, and they can, they, okay. you know, that can be their tone-setting game, and then the Knicks come out angry, and then they're ready to win the rest of the series. <laughs> That's fine. Okay, fair enough. I'll, so, I'm sorry, Mac, who did you pick again? You uh, I win Knicks. Knicks, yes. Knicks, okay. I'll go Hawks, because I, I like picking against Connor. Um, so, <laughs> so, I'll go Hawks on that. We'll do game one of Heat Bucks. I'll go first. Uh, I'll pick the and then Danny, I'll try, Danny, you go next. I got Bucks. I'm going to okay. go Heat. Seems Heat, like a okay. classic Jimmy Butler move to come in and steal game one. Just set the tone immediately. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You know, those are good wins. Okay. Game one, Blazers, Nuggets. Uh, sleepy Nuggets, hot Blazers. Blazers. Okay. I'm also going to go Blazers. Okay. Um, I'll go... Oh, Blazers have a habit of winning game ones and then losing the series. I'll go Denver though, just for more some more differences in our picks. So I'll go Denver, and then our last pick, kind of make this one an, an odder pick. Let's do game four. No, no, no. We'll do game three. Let's do far that a lot. Game three of Suns Lakers. Mm, that's a home game for LA, so I'm gonna go yes. Lake Show. Okay. I think Phoenix has got to win one. Why don't they win that one? I can't. I can't think of how that series is gonna go. So let's just say that's the one they win. That's the one they win. Okay, fair enough. I'll go Lakers for Game Three. So those are our bets. What an episode! That was so much fun to talk to y'all, and, and just I love talking basketball with both of you. It's great to have y'all here. It was refreshing to not to not uh, have to deal with Connor and Grant's bullshit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, no, it's great. Great to have you here. I appreciate y'all very much for filling in. And just doing the pod on a yeah. Day. What day is Love today? It. I don't even know. Bar Thursday. prep all the days. Merch Thursday on a Thursday afternoon. Well, 
thank you all. It's been awesome. Don't forget all the listeners to rate and subscribe to the Up and Under podcast. And until next time, peace.